0: And all God's people said, It is a wonderful and, and an amazing thing to sing the gospel with God's people. And that is exactly what we have done. Isn't it a blessing that we can come together? We're not spectators. We're participants together. And because of Jesus and through Jesus and through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. I kind of feel sorry for those who may attend a religious event or a religious service and they're just participants or just uh, spectators. Thank you. (laughs) Only God could create us. Only God can save us. Only God sustains us. He spoke us into existence, this world. And he sustains us. What a blessing to be able to sing truths like the power of the cross the prayer of arise my soul arise and I trust it is your testimony my Jesus I love thee I know thou art mine obviously as we conclude our service this morning we're going to partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper it's a blessing to be able to do that it is a Following the instruction Jesus gave on that last night before he went to the cross. It is a memorial. He said, he himself said, do this in remembrance of me. To remember what I am about to do for you. To go to the cross, to be that sacrifice. To pay the penalty for our sin, not his. We... Here in our congregation, do not practice what some would call a closed communion. That means you don't have to be a member of our church to participate. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you have put your faith and trust in him alone for salvation, then you are welcome to participate. And I trust it will be a blessing. I trust that as our hearts have been prepared and we have this morning sung together the truths of the gospel that uh, that will just be a wonderful exclamation point. I do have to say thank you to Brother Stephen for filling in last week. uh, Renee and I I were traveling, and we bring greetings back to you from Lynchburg, from our students down there at uh, at Liberty uh, University. They're doing well, but uh, I know that you were ministered to wonderfully last week. Uh, I was ministered to. I, I got to watch it after the fact. Um, and appreciated so much um, the, uh, the message and uh, how Brother Stephen just walked right through that passage and uh, what a tremendous blessing it is. I, uh, certainly, I, there are many verses, obviously, in Scripture that I think we all dearly love. But that verse in, in that passage that Jesus went to the cross himself and nailing our sins there, it's paid. It's paid in full. So this morning, we are going to continue our walk through Romans, and we come here today to the fourth message in kind of this mini-series uh, nested within our study of Romans, the Christian and. And we've been looking at uh, three different, and this today will be a fourth relationship uh, upon which the Apostle expounds. And today we're going to focus our attention on the first seven verses of Romans 13. This may be one of the most difficult passages with which Christians in America have to wrestle with in the present. I get it. I know that. All right? Just telling you that this is a little bit of one of those where angels fear to tread kind of messages this morning. But here it is before us in God's word. And so we are going to walk right through it. And uh, learn together, I trust, what God's word teaches us on this, this matter. We talk often about the fact that God's word is for us the instruction in every area of our life. And we rejoice in that in one aspect, I think. And then sometimes we're like, oh dear. <laughs> because it confronts us. And we'd really rather do it a different way. <laughs> And we can justify that different way. We can justify it in our own minds. It's explained for us very clearly here. Romans 13, verse 1, we read, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. I think this could be the shortest sermon in the history of Farmington Avenue Baptist Church. (laughs) Obey the government. Don't violate the laws. Pay your taxes. Let's pray. <laughs> you know you're not getting off that easy. <laughs> but it really is that clear and simple. It is that direct. I think this is one of those areas, for us in particular. And I say it that way because every believer, every group of Christians around the world has had to confront this at some point and on some level. And there are believers today around the world who are living under systems of government that uh, certainly are far more difficult and oppressive than what we have. And they are actually meeting or have met today in secret because they don't have freedom of religion and freedom of gathering. And so we struggle with this because we see it one way and, you know, secular governments may see it another, but God knew all of this and he writes it down, has Paul write it down for us because they needed it in the first century and we need it in the 21st century. So let's ask God to help us to see it this morning, understand it, and then even to go out and live it. Father, thank you that you have, in fact, given to us in your word everything that pertains to godly living, everything we need to be the Christian, to be the testimony, to be the witness that you have called us to be in this age. Father, we confess this morning that there may be things as we go through this, as we think about it in our own lives and our own circumstances. It It causes us to pause, causes us difficulty. But Father, help us to submit to your word, to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Father, through it, as we obey this instruction, Father, may we put our faith on display. We pray this in your name. We seek to live it. By your grace and for your glory. Amen. The Christian and government. Paul has outlined for us the relationship the Christian and other believers, the Christian in the community, the Christian even in an enemy, an antagonist. And now the Christian and government. What is to be our relationship with government? It shouldn't be missed. That This subject is addressed in the New Testament to the first century church, preserved for us in God's word, so it comes all the way down to us here 2,000 years later. Not only by Paul, here in this passage, in, uh, to Timothy, to Titus, as they, he is instructing them to pass it along to, to coming generations, but also by Peter, 1 Peter 2, and oh, let's not forget, by Jesus himself. In summary, the best citizen ought to be a Christian citizen. The best citizen ought to be a Christian citizen. Now, Christians, if we can say it that way in the most broad sense, because there are some Old Testament examples and we, wouldn't, we would see that a little bit differently. But anyway, I think you understand. Those who believe in God... They are, and who have participated and been involved in government, are through Scripture. I mean, we don't have to flip many pages from the very beginning of uh, of our existence, of creation after creation, to find Joseph participating in civil government. Not only participating, but rising to second in command only to Pharaoh. He's 30 years old. When he becomes what we would call prime minister of the world power at that time. Daniel and his three friends, most commonly known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, Daniel becomes prime minister over Babylon and and then even with, with the Persians. His three friends are governors and have places of high authority. The Queen, Esther. The centurion in Jesus' day was not told by Jesus to resign his commission. Cornelius didn't give up his command. Sergius Paulus in Acts 13 didn't go and resign his place in government after he was after he was saved. Derastus, the, the city treasurer, will be will be introduced to him in Romans 16 and Paul talks about the unnamed officials of Nero's household in Philippians chapter 4. There've always been believers who have found themselves in places operating within the context of the government, a secular government. And of course, we struggle because yes, there are things that happen within a secular world that that we know are wrong. There are things the government allows that are wrong. So we we struggle. Let me say we are not to be isolationists. Christians are certainly welcome to participate within the bounds granted by government. Okay? I mean we we have rights, we have opportunities within our society, to vote, to be involved, to express our voices, that is perfectly fine. Really where it comes down to, though, is about really first first, and foremost an attitude of our heart. How do we see it when it doesn't go our way? When things are allowed that we don't agree with? What then? We have to check our heart. Now, I might as well just, you know, pull the pin on the proverbial grenade. Toss it in the room. Let me say that a Christian nation is not our primary goal. A Christian nation is not... Our primary goal, we do not strive for this kingdom, but one that is to come. History shows us that a Christian nation is not even a reasonable expectation. It's never happened successfully. Constantine tried it. It didn't work. It didn't hold. In our country, quite frankly, in our area, even in this region, the Puritans tried it. It didn't hold. God ordained three institutions, the home, civil government, and the church. They all have their place. And notice in the passage, it is so clear, it is so direct what is to be our relationship. Now, let me remind you of the context as well in which Paul is writing this in the first century. Nero is Caesar. Rome has a three to one ratio, slaves to free men, and Christians are in fact already being persecuted. That's the context. Should we yield to government inspections of our facilities for safety guidelines? Yes. Should we follow government standards regarding building and business practices? Yes. Should we pay our taxes? Yes. We have accountants in our congregation. They need work. Pay your taxes. Should we submit our curriculum, our lessons, our sermons for approval by government censors? Not on your life. The overarching purpose of the Christian submission to government is to have a more effective witness. Jesus said, let your light so shine that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the passage before us is clear. And I just want to walk through here this morning just to remind us of these very basic principles. First of all, God ordained government. God gave a clear command to obey. and God's judgment is upon the Christian who disobeys. Don't forget the audience to whom this letter is written. This letter is written to Christians at Rome in the first century. I mean, this isn't even, at this point, it is going to ultimately be written to those that are, you know, in the far-flung regions of the empire. But this one is written right to the capital. There's no place to hide in Rome. And by the way, by the time this is written, there's already been been a decree that have expelled Jews out of Rome for a time period. God ordained government. Look what Paul reminds us of here. There is, verse 1, for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now just chew on that for a second. Then and now. God didn't get distracted in November four years ago. Okay? I mean, I'll be 55 this summer. I've lived through enough elections. And all these cycles and all the, you know, the hubbub that goes along with it. And all the, oh, yay, it's going to be great. We're going to just be able to, you know, as Christians say. And then, oh, no, as if, like, God fell asleep and something terrible happened and now we've got to fix it. Paul is telling believers, there's no authority except from God. And beyond that, and just not the concept of authority, but he goes on and says, and those that exist have been instituted by God. So those who are present in government at the time God has allowed, some would even argue God has put there for reasons maybe only understood fully by him. God ordained human government all the way back in Genesis chapter 9. Gave the power to man to judge himself in the matter of of capital punishment, in the matter of self-government. It's all the way back in Genesis 9. Jesus stands before Pilate in John 19 and reminds him that government's power comes from God. God instituted government and ordained government to be a help and a blessing to people. And I know, again, we look and go, well, they've blown it, and so now here's our excuse to do whatever we want. It's not how it works. There are really three questions that we need to ask ourselves as we wrap our minds around this truth. Because again, that's what it says. And that is, are we going to submit our hearts to God's will and live in obedience to his ordained will for our lives? Will you commit to pray for the leaders as you should? Every Wednesday night. In our prayer sheet that we have, we have listed our leaders. From a president, vice president, down to our our elected officials, down to the mayor of this town. Down to the Supreme Court. I will tell you, the vast majority, vast majority of those names that we pray for every Wednesday... By their life, I would seriously question whether or not they are believers. By what they stand for, by what they promote. But they are instituted by God. And we are to obey. We are to respect. We are to pray for them. Do you believe that God has everything under control? I think that's really where the stress and and the the pressure comes because all of a sudden we look at it and we go, i got to help God. God gives us opportunities to serve him. God gives us certainly opportunities to be salt and to be light and all those things that we know. But folks, God's got it under control. God ordained government. The Christian has a clear command to live in subjection to that authority. He says twice in this passage... Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. He leads with that. And then he says it again and uses the same word later on in these verses. That word subject, to be subject, that is the word hupotasso, and it literally means to willingly put yourself into the subjection of another. It's not to be forced there. It is to go there and to stay there because that's an authority given by God. Joseph, Daniel, Esther, they're all examples of this. We were visiting uh, our daughter, son-in-law, our our son (laughs) and daughter-in-law and our granddaughters last day or two. Of course, Robert. Most of you know Robert's a pastor over in New York, in the Ithaca area, and of course we get together and we talk shop. And we were talking. And he was like, "What are you preaching? What are you preaching?" We we're talking back and forth about this. And you know, we use the example of of Daniel, and some is some are quick to uh, you know, well, yeah, but I mean, Daniel, the decree was this, and he went and prayed anyway, and then he found himself in the lions. Den. Yes, all that's true. But the next morning when Darius comes, right, and has the stone put back because he's worried and has worried all night. Daniel's been sleeping like a baby with the lions. And he comes back and he rolls the stone he goes, Daniel, are you okay? Daniel answers back and he says, what? God has spared me. God has shut the, the mouths of the lions. And then he says... O king, live forever. Think about that. Darius says, get out of there. Come here. Daniel doesn't say, come get me. Like, what do you mean? You threw me down here with these lions. There is still respect. Someone said, one commentator said it this way, and I think it's so appropriate, he is very much talking to our audience. Democracy and political freedom are commonly identified with Christianity. For such reason, it is difficult for many Christians to be clear or even objective and honest about a passage so unambiguously restrictive as Romans 13. It is hard for us to see it, to be objective, to be honest about a passage that is so unambiguously restrictive. That's a unique way to say that. God doesn't stutter. God didn't misspeak. God didn't wake up and go, oh, well, yeah, but I didn't realize they were going to be like that. I mean, how long did it take for civil government to go bad? About 30 seconds. (laughs) Look back in the Old Testament after Genesis 9. But God hadn't changed his mind. I mean, this is thousands of years after Genesis 9, and Paul is still writing, be subject to the authority. Even Jesus paid his taxes. There are very few biblical examples of disobedience in this area that are commended. Very few. Exodus 1, you know, the Egyptian midwives, Daniel 3, obviously, you know, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel 6, talked about that. Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5. Very few. And those are because government compelled an immoral action. That's the only pass. There's a clear difference between government allowing immoral conduct, which they do, and government demanding or compelling immoral conduct from you as a Christian citizen. That's the question. We don't like that they allow it. We have rights and freedoms in which we can try to influence those decisions that are being made so that maybe they will go differently. Fine. But because they allow it does not mean that you get to disobey whenever you want. And oh, by the way, they're not compelling you to that immoral activity. If they do... You're in good company to then disobey that. It may happen. It has in some very small circumstances, even within our society. But it is not prominent. That's not the dominant thing. And I know it's at this point that many times as as Christians, well, yeah, but what about... We begin to run and look for the examples and look for the exceptions. Again, as if God didn't think that that could happen. He says, be subject. So we are to understand that God ordained government. God gave a clear command to obey government. And then finally, we need to understand God's judgment is upon the Christian who disobeys. Isn't it very interesting? In this passage, in this context, God doesn't say, and oh, by the way, I'll handle them. No, he doesn't. Now, he will one day. But in this passage, he says, and if you disobey, understand judgment is coming to you. Those who resist this will incur judgment judgment what form the punishment may take or by whom it may be exercised isn't stated god may allow government to exact a punishment or he may do it himself but he says very clearly there in verse 2 and then he inserted it in verse 5 again therefore whoever resists the authority resists what god has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment So as we have said, to to exercise the rights that we have within the bounds of government is perfectly appropriate, but it should be done graciously and humbly. And we should, so far as we are able, stand up for righteousness and denounce sinfulness in in our society. There are avenues in which we do that. But I come back to what I said at the beginning, and that is that the best citizen should be the Christian citizen. We, as Christians, are to be the conscience of our nation, of our society, through faithful preaching and godly living. And so, we conclude this wonderfully practical segment of Paul's letter. Mind of God, the heart of the Apostle, has been plainly set forth. God's desire is to have his children rightly relate to those who are within the family of God, to those in the community at large, to those who are antagonistic to them, and to the human authority and government. We are talking this year about putting our faith on display. And it is a struggle. It's a struggle, first of all, for us just to do it because we are all sinners. We all wrestle inside ourselves with doing right, let alone the stuff we have to deal with outside, right? And we may wonder, how can I put my faith on display? God's word has given it to us right here in front of us and we've walked right through it in the last four weeks I remind you of what he says Romans 12 verse 9 let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good love one another with brotherly affection outdo one another in showing honor do not be slothful in zeal be fervent in spirit serve the Lord rejoice in hope But associate with lowly, never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. Those that exist have been instituted by God. That is how we put our faith on display, by living in obedience to that, God's word. I want to close the sermon today. This is unusual that this would happen like this. We did not collaborate. Pastor Josh read a prayer from John Calvin, one of the great reformers. And I want to close the sermon today with a prayer by Clement of Rome. Clement of Rome was a contemporary of Paul. He is probably the one referred to in Philippians 4, verse 3. He is certainly one of the early church fathers. We, of course, have Jesus, we have the apostles. Then we have the early fathers. Men like Clement, Ignatius, Polycarp, so on and so forth. Clement of Rome wrote a letter which has become known in Christian tradition as 1st Clement. To the church at Corinth. Paul wasn't the only one writing letters to Corinth. (laughs) It was a very lengthy letter. And in it he really writes this prayer, understanding the context, understanding the culture, the society of the day. And he really is coming off of what Paul had written to the church at Rome. I believe, based on what we know of this, I mean, he reads the letter from Paul to the church at Rome. I think the Holy Spirit impacts his heart, lives it out in his life. This is some of the fruit of it. So he writes this prayer in the first century. Guide our steps to walk in holiness and righteousness and singleness of heart. And to do those things that are good and acceptable in thy sight and in the sight of our rulers. Yes, Lord, cause thy face to shine upon us in peace for our good, that we may be sheltered by thy mighty hand and delivered from every sin by thine outstretched arm. Deliver us from those who hate us wrongfully. Give concord and peace to us and to all who dwell on earth, as thou didst our fathers when they called on thee in faith and truth with holiness while we render obedience to thine almighty and most excellent name and to our earthly rulers and governors. Thou, O Lord and Master, hast given them the power of sovereignty through thine excellent and unspeakable might, that we, knowing the glory and honor which thou hast given them, may submit ourselves to them in nothing resisting thy will, Grant them therefore, O Lord, health, peace, concord, and stability that they may without failure administer the government which thou hast committed to them. For thou, O heavenly master, king of the ages, dost give to the sons of men glory and honor and power over all the things that are in the earth. Do thou, O Lord, Direct their counsel according to what is good and acceptable in thy sight, that they, administering in peace and gentleness with godliness the power which thou hast committed to them, may obtain thy favor. Amen. Clement lived during the time of the Emperor Trajan, For his commitment to preaching the gospel, he was exiled from Rome. Ultimately, the decree of death was given. He was tied, Christian tradition tells us, he was tied to an anchor and cast into the Aegean Sea. but he understood his place and his role. And he lived in accordance to God's word. And so we also must understand and confess that it is only because of Jesus that we can, as Christians, relate rightly to brothers and sisters in Christ, to those in our community, to those who may be our enemy, to those in the government. So as we live in obedience to his word, may God help us put our faith on display. As we consider how God would have us to live, we're going to pause now to partake of the elements of the Lord's table. Through the example, the self-sacrifice of Jesus, we can live obediently to God's word in every area of our life.